Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. So our name stands for Recurring Billing and Revenue Solutions. That's a pretty good acronym for where we focus, which is in the recurring billing and subscription space. We have built out a platform with a series of integrations that really manage the subscription lifecycle for merchants who play in that space. That was Nick Frederick, the president of Rebar Technology, and this is episode 43 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and Nick is our special guest this week. I'm your host, Greg Myers, and hey, before we get started, if you happen to office in Houston, Austin, or North Texas, check out Fuse Workspace, where their mission is to help others do more. Check them out at FuseWorkspace.com. Okay, back to the show. Nick grew up in North Central Ohio and now lives in Nashville, Tennessee. He also had a few stints in LA and in New York. Rebar is an acronym for Recurring Billing and Revenue. They have built a platform that manages the subscription lifecycle for recurring B2C type merchants. They're completely cloud-based and targets a larger enterprise merchants that often need some form of customization. Rebar is an offshoot of the consulting firm called W. Capra Consulting. Early in his career, Nick was on the road in the music business, specifically tour management. He transitioned into finance and payments, which led him to W. Capra and then president of Rebar Technology. The modular way they have built their solution provides true value and differentiation in the subscription billing market. We've got a great episode this week, so let's get started. Hi, Nick. Thank you for being here, and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Thanks for having me, Greg. Absolutely. So let's dive right in. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that. Yeah, sure, sure. So I grew up in the heartland and out in the country in north central Ohio. Go Buckeyes. Lived there for most of my childhood. And then my family was relocated to the Nashville, Tennessee area, which happens to be where I currently live now. My father worked for the company Saturn, if anybody remembers that. Division of General Motors that no longer exists had a plant in the Nashville area. So that's how we ended up here. I've had a couple of stints on the east and west coast uh, in LA and in the New York area just outside in Connecticut. So I've moved around a bit. But yeah, now live here in Nashville uh, with me and my family. Great. So LA, New York and Nashville, that's quite a combination. It is. It is. I got to experience it all left, right and middle. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Great. So let's talk about Rebar Technology. Tell our audience a little bit about what Rebar Technology does. Sure. Yeah. So our name stands for Recurring Billing and Revenue Solutions. That's a pretty good acronym for where we focus, which is in the recurring billing and subscription space. We have built out a platform with a series of integrations that really manage the subscription lifecycle for merchants who play in that space. We take a little bit of a different approach to our technology. We're entirely cloud-based and we build things out in a very, what I would call, modular fashion so that we can plug and play lots of different things together. But we target more of the larger enterprise level merchants that operate you know, these types of programs in a way that allows us to create real customized solutions. So wouldn't refer to us as a SaaS platform the way uh, some others are. There's some great solutions out there for that you know, small and medium-sized business, but we really focus on larger merchants. Rebar is an offshoot of a consulting company called W Capra Consulting that's been around for about 20 years and targets consulting services and payments 
to the retail space, petroleum, e-commerce, and things like that. So that's really where our heritage is. That's where we came from. And that continues to be the kind of focus for the type of merchants that we work with. Okay. And how big is the company? We're a little over 100 people in total on both sides of the house. We share resources for both companies. Rebar is only about two years old, so we're relatively new. We launched our platform earlier this year, so we're really just now getting out into the market. But we're excited about it, and uh, it's been great so far. So being that your roots are on the consulting side, is that a lot of maybe you know what you bring to the table that might be unique and different? Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I said we take this customized approach. Um, you know, our heritage being consulting, that just really emulates the way we like to approach engagements with our merchants. We'd like to sit down with them, really understand their business, take that deep dive. Where are you at today? Where are you going tomorrow? And really try to develop a technology solution that works for them today, but also in future. So yeah, yeah to answer your question, that very much encapsulates how we approach things. Okay. And you mentioned you focus on mainly larger companies. Maybe are there some, I guess, verticals within the subscription world and the the larger company world that are better targets than others? Yeah, I mean, we definitely are have a lot of experience in the digital space. So digital delivered goods, whether that's streaming services, certainly very, very big right now and growing online gaming, just different online content systems, education, things like that. We've done some work in, in the physical goods space as well, box of the month clubs, and then we do a good bit in insurance as well. So I would say all facets of subscription and recurring payments. Okay, but maybe not utilities quite as much. Not utilities quite as much because that tends to be more usage-based billing, which we can do, but I wouldn't call that the bread and butter. We're more of those recurring $5 a month, $60 a year, you know, those types of B2C products. Gotcha. Okay. And then how do you go to market through a, a direct sales force or through partners or both? Uh, a little bit of both. We have some partners. We work at an outside sales organization. They they help us tremendously. We they've brought a couple partners to the table that you know help us develop content and things like that, kind of get out in the market. But we also heavily leverage the relationships that we've built on the consulting side. I'm sure as you know that's relationship type selling. So you know attending conferences, getting involved in trade organizations, the Payment Said Forum, um, subscription show, Card Not Present. You know all those different types of organizations that are out there. We'd like to stay involved with those, and that helps with outreach and business development as well. Okay, great. And we already talked a little bit about this, but maybe you can dive deeper. What, besides the unique part of bringing consulting to the table, what else differentiates you guys from your competitors out there? Yeah, I would say it's the modular approach to our platform. So we've built it in a way that we've segmented off different functional areas of the subscription lifecycle, whether that's your product catalog, an accountant subscription management, invoicing, payment transactions, reporting, what we call our token vault, where we securely store the payment information. We've built all of these things independently in a way that they can all play with each other, but we built them independently so that we can take and plug things together and create a customized instance rather for our merchants. So nothing is co-tenant. Everything runs in an independent account. So your data is segregated off. But if in that approach, if when we sit down and we go through this initial engagement, we do our discovery meetings or workshops, we find that you have a CRM that you've been using for years, works really, really well, but maybe it just doesn't do the billing piece the way you want it to. We can take our billing system and plug it in with your CRM, whether that's a Salesforce or some internal homegrown system or something like that. But we can plug these things together so that you know we can be that flexibility or be flexible in how we deploy things, but not replace the wheel if it's not really necessary. And I think that's a very different approach from some of the other solutions you see out there in the market. 
Okay. And you mentioned that it was all in the cloud. Is that unique to this space or is that pretty typical? Well, I think it's becoming more typical, to be honest with you. We're primarily an AWS shop and we focus on their services that are commonly referred to as the serverless framework. But what that really does for us is give us a lot of speed, flexibility, and scalability. We've just seen tremendous value in being able to focus on our end merchant and delivering solutions for them rather than managing infrastructure. So instead of patching servers all the time and ensuring we have load balancers in place and have the right level of storage you know, on a disk, we can really just focus on the applications and what they do because AWS so effectively manages that for us. And Google and Azure have their equivalent services as well. So this isn't all about AWS. We just happen to focus there. But yeah, it's just been such a game changer for us in being able to scale quickly. Our costs are proportionate to the usage, right? Because everything's scales- as you need it. And I tell people all the time, if we had started this company five years ago versus a couple of years ago, our technology footprint would look just drastically different. It's just these innovations have happened so quickly and become so much more prevalent that it's really just you know allowed us to take that approach, which I think has been really effective. Sure. And then you mentioned that a lot of your focus is on digital. So obviously more on the card right. not president side. So I'm assuming you guys have benefited from what's happened uh, pretty much across the industry in the last, I guess, in, in the COVID era yeah. where mo- more business is being driven online. Hey, yeah, absolutely. I read an article in uh, payments.com just the other day that said since the start of COVID, 96 million new subscriptions have been added. It's just a crazy number of new subscriptions that consumers have started since COVID happened. And I think the lion's share of that was, of course, streaming. But content delivery, as it relates to education and training, gone way up too, which is definitely a positive sign. But to your point, yes, the digital services domain is doing very well. But even I would say it goes beyond that. The meal delivery services, which, you know, launched a number of years ago, and then all of the or most of them took a bit of a dip in terms of membership um, in recent years, saw resurgence, right? People being at home, needing to cook from home, not wanting to go to the grocery store. It's had a positive impact on them as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the industry at a broader level. Where do you think the payments industry is headed in the next, say, two to three years? You know, it's a very interesting question, and certainly we've seen evolution, but credit cards have been around for so long now that the market saturation continues to grow. You know, even things like that we wouldn't have ever thought about using credit cards for a long time ago for micropayments was, you know, kind of one of those areas where credit cards have gotten more gain share. They're not fundamentally broken. So I don't see that changing anytime soon. We've seen layered products that I like to call them over top of credit cards, whether you're even talking about Apple Pay or Google Pay or things like that, or do the different wallet services still have that underlying credit card. I do think ACH continues to grow and has always had its place. I'm a big proponent of it. It's a very cost-effective, reliable system. The only thing it really lacks is real-time authorization, but there are organizations out there that are kind of working to solve that problem or at least make it better. But I think the growth of Zelle and Venmo, Cash App and things like that are very interesting, whether that's peer-to-peer payments or even how those guys have started to delve into the B2C payments, or I should say C2B payments, push payments over there. But I think that's a big, certainly a big growth area, especially as merchants look for cost-effective alternatives to credit card. Interchange is you know, still not an immaterial amount of an organization's bottom line when they accept credit cards. So the viability of those alternatives, I think, is very interesting. And merchants will probably continue to push consumers towards those as they can, you know, just for cost efficiencies. 
Sure. What about specifically within just the subscription space? Is anything interesting you think is going to happen in the next few years there? Yeah, I think we're starting to see it, and that's bundling. So just to look specifically at the streaming services over the top streaming, you know, if you go back to the days of cable and those types of services, things were bundled together, right? You bought a package, gold, silver, bronze, or whatever, and paid a monthly amount and got 30, 60, or I don't know, a thousand channels, most of which you didn't watch, right? But those were very prevalent. And then streaming took off because individual content providers said, well, I can go direct to consumer. So I'm going to start offering my products that way. HBO, Showtime, A&E, all of these guys got in that direct to consumer game. But now we're seeing kind of that trend back towards putting a few of the services together and offering them as a bundled discounted service. So Disney, Hulu, ESPN Plus is one that's out there at a discounted price for bundling. But I think you're going to see content providers, particularly those that are probably roll up to a larger holding company, are going to be coming together with their individual services and offering them through bundles. So I think that trend is going to continue here over the next few years. So does that bundling of those types of services affect how you guys deliver your product? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One big thing that a subscription system has to account for is how to manage what some call grants, others call entitlements or benefits, but it's letting some other third party system know that a customer has subscribed and has access to these benefits. So communicating with multiple service providers that a subscription was created, give Greg access to this particular channel or this streaming site or this game or whatever the case might be as these things get put together, it creates a lot of complexity. Which ones are involved and then what level of access do users need into those particular services? So yeah, as this bundling happens, things are going to get more complicated for the various service providers. Okay. And you mentioned one of the spaces that you play in is insurance. Anything interesting from your perspective going to happen in the next few years in that space? Yeah, I don't know if you call it interesting there, Greg, but uh, (laughs) the insurance market certainly goes through a whole lot of regulation, lots of changes. And then, you know, even things that happen in the macro environment and COVID being one of them can affect what insurance service providers need to do. I remember at a former company I worked at when Katrina happened down in New Orleans and just kind of the devastation down there, there was a host of zip codes where we suddenly couldn't cancel policies for non-payment, you know, for obvious good reasons. But the flexibility of our billing system to overnight say, okay, you can cancel somebody in this zip code, but not that one meant, you know, a tremendous amount of work needed to happen and happen quickly to support that. So there's just events like that that can happen, which can make things very difficult for third party agents in the insurance space. Sure, sure. Care to get the crystal ball out and think about 10 years from now and how things might look different in payments? Yeah, I think it all comes down to technology. Like I was talking about, just the advancements in technology that allowed an organization like us to be able to spring up and scale quickly the way that we've been able to, I think will extend into payments as well. A lot of the innovations that we've seen in payments have to do with those that have gone out and put innovation over top of existing rails in the payment systems, whether that's credit card or ACH and and things like that. And as technology becomes more widely available and becomes cheaper as it has continued to do year after year, just enables innovation. You know, it doesn't take as much capital as it used to to go out, start up a company and create an innovative payments company and then scale it from there. And we've seen some of the larger players in our industry gobble up some of the more successful ones. So I don't see that trend 
slowing down anytime soon. In fact, like I said, probably accelerating due to uh, just the barriers of entry, just continuing to come down and become more and more cost effective. Sure, absolutely. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you. Tell us about your journey to your role there as the president of Rebar Technology. Yeah, so quite an evolution. So living here in Nashville, as I graduated high school and got into college, I actually found myself in the music business and was there for quite a while, about eight years and had various roles, mostly in the live production touring industry. But kind of my last role was tour management, which required a fair amount of financial management as well out on the road, a good bit of accounting. And once I kind of got a little bit older in life, decided that I didn't want to spend my entire life out on the road. So made a transition to really some accounting roles because I had a little bit of that experience and background and found myself at an organization that I mentioned earlier called Affinian Group, came in to do a contract position that was supposed to last three months and or supposed to last six months, got the project done in three. And so then they asked me to come on board permanently. And, and that's where I really ended up spending 11 years and is where I got myself my experience in payments and subscription payments specifically. Affinian was one of those bigger companies you've never heard of because it was a service provider behind a lot of financial institutions for the insurance and membership clubs that they offered. And it was a very fast-paced, complicated, high-volume environment. So a great place to go in and learn and get your feet wet. And I had a lot of different roles within operations, IT and finance there. So I got to see subscription from a lot of different angles. So just invaluable experience. And then when my time there was up, I came over to WCAPRA from the consulting side and did those same kinds of things, but did it for a lot of different merchants. So just extending that experience that I had picked up there and best practices to merchants. And really through that process, through those consulting engagements, we were doing a lot of RFPs, technology roadmaps for our clients, and then implementations and program management along the way. And through that process, we just got to see the industry, the players that are out there, the service providers, and just some of the challenges that happen when you take a complicated organization and then say, okay, go to the cloud or go to this particular SaaS service provider. There was always gaps in those processes. There was either business rules that just couldn't be met, use cases that couldn't be solved for. And then it, when it came down to it, either the merchant themselves had to solve for it completely on their own and kind of work around their own service providers, or there was a customization that had to be done or built. And you know that could take months and sometimes even years to do. So we saw all this and thought there's a better way to do it. And that's through the modularity that I spoke about before and just saying, okay, you subscription merchant may need one of these 12 things, 10 of the 12 things or something in between, but we can deploy those particular services into an application quickly and efficiently for you and then plug in whatever's working great for you today. Maybe that's an email system and a marketing system, but you need an account management system and a billing and payments and recycling system. So we're able to be flexible. And like I talked about before, taking that consultative approach, really understanding them and helping work through those is kind of the foundation of what we do. And I think what really makes us different in the market. So give us a little idea of sort of your day to day as the president there. Ooh. <laughs> well, every day is a little bit different. You wear a lot of different hats, whether it's the marketing hat, the manager hat, you know, working with our team, growing our team. We are constantly hiring here. So doing a lot of interviews and things like that, working with our partners and updating them on the health of the business, kind of where we are, where we're going, business development. But one of the core things that I hold on to very dearly to this day is managing our product, really being that product owner, because I've lived it, I've breathed it, I've been in the all the nitty gritty details of a billing system, what works and what doesn't, and how to keep up with the challenges and changing environment around you. 
And I just, you know, we set out to be different, to be flexible. And so staying very closely involved with our product, that roadmap and where we're heading and how we're delivering and then making sure that we execute for our merchants, you know, at at the highest level, that we have the right people that are watching things on their behalf, you know, really in that sense, trying to be a managed service for them to be as involved and have the same stake in successful payments that they have, I think is really important. So I try to stay really close to those things as well. Great, great. So what are some things, maybe mention one that's work-related and one non-work-related that you're passionate about? Yeah, well, I think on the work side, really building out our team, and I'm not a big fan of the word culture, but but I'll use it here, just fostering that sense of team and common shared goal that we have here while trying to be efficient at the same time, right? A lot of our team are, of course, application developers and keeping them involved in what we're doing and the end goal. So a lot of that is education, right? Having governance meetings, having training meetings, just having open discussions where we can get together and talk about what our product is and what we're really trying to solve for so that they're not just sitting there taking defined business requirements and writing code off of it. I don't think any of them really like to do that anyway, to be honest with you, but fostering that sense of shared goal among our team so that we can all grow together, you know, getting them all involved in the interviewing process and bringing on new team members. I think it's really important and helps foster that as well. But just making sure that we're growing a good team here is something that I'm trying to stay very focused on. On the uh, outside of work front, you know, I have two little ones right now. I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. So they're in kindergarten and second grade. And learning right now is, of course, challenging for every parent out there. We're no different. Fortunately, ours are an in-person school, but keeping up with them, trying to make this world as normal as you can for them at this point in time is certainly a big part of my wife and I's focus. And I would say that's kind of the lion's share of what I'm doing outside of the workplace right now. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I get that answer a lot these days. You mentioned something sort of around the employees and culture and all that kind of thing. And I'm curious, given the COVID world we're in, are are your employees remote or some of them coming into an office? Yeah. So when, of course, COVID first happened back in the February, March timeline, we went fully remote at that point. Fortunately for us, we had a lot of the tools and processes in place to kind of support remote work. And a couple of our developers were predominantly remote workers. So that transition happened pretty seamlessly for us. And I would say for a while there, it was pretty effective and we're still pretty good at it. But, you know, as time has gone on, I think you're starting to see the fatigue from a lot of people of just the challenges of being remote and not having that human interaction, just kind of taking its toll or just kind of its impact on productivity. One of the things that we used to do really well here, especially when we were onboarding new team members, was when you're here in the office and someone starts to get stuck on whatever sort of problem they're trying to solve, the team was really good about noticing that somebody was getting stuck or heading towards getting stuck and didn't let them continue to be stuck, like would reach out and, you know, maybe walk over to their desk and kind of help them work through things. And that is just exponentially harder in this virtual world, right? You know, it really takes somebody almost proactively saying I'm stuck and raising their hand on Slack or Teams or whatever tool that you're using compared to the face-to-face world when we're sitting in an office. So it's been challenging and it's certainly changed over time. I look forward to getting back in the office and I'm here now and a handful of people have started to come back, but only those that 
that feel comfortable doing so. You know, we've all got different reasons for when and how we come back. So we'll continue to work through it and evolve, but it has certainly been with uh, its own set of challenges. Sure. It's been interesting to kind of keep up with it. Some of the larger companies in the U.S. have said, hey, we're coming back. And then there's been a few larger ones that say we're going to be remote maybe forever. Right. So it's kind of interesting to see how that's all being positioned. And then eventually, when things do get back to normal, what really actually happens. Yeah, you're right, Greg. It really has been interesting because... it seems like even some of the same CEOs who at the beginning were saying, yep, we're remote, we're good, we can be remote as long as we want to be, have more recently been like, yeah, but we've now seen productivity kind of take a nosedive. So I'm looking forward to everybody being back in the office. It's certainly evolving. Right, absolutely. Well, when I started out in the space back in 2005, I certainly didn't venture out and say, I want to be in payments. It kind of just happened. And I sort of like to say just fell into it. But now I think people coming out of college are really looking at it as a potential career opportunity, whether you want to call it payments or fintech. So curious what your advice would be to someone who's maybe just coming out of college or or younger, maybe in their career, and they're looking at the fintech or payment space. What kind of advice would you give them? Yeah, I think the best advice I can give is when you're early on in your career, maybe start broadly, right? You want to get a good foundation for how the payment systems work. And they are extremely complicated, especially here in the U.S. Just pick your scheme and try to learn as much as you can about it. Early on in my career, I went and got the IAP certification for the ACH network just so that I could better understand it. But I would say start with a good foundation and then pick a niche that you're passionate about and pursue that. So again, it could be one of the particular payment types, ACH versus credit card. Maybe it's Bitcoin, maybe it's alternative payments, international payments, things like that that you can specialize in. Right now, fraud in payments is huge. Managing chargebacks and preventing fraudulent transactions on the front end especially as so many payments have gone online, is really, really important. You can get in the subscription side in e-commerce versus card present payments, EMV cards. There's just a lot of different areas within payments that you can specialize. So once you've got a good foundation, figure out a place where you can specialize and then become that. Become the specialist or the subject matter expert in that given area. And then you just kind of create more value for you and your organization. You become sought out in the industry for your opinion on things. And you should share that and really become kind of one of the experts in that particular domain of payments that you want to specialize in. Okay, great. That's great advice. We've covered a lot so far, talking about the company and the market that you're in and a little bit about the industry and then a little bit about your personal journey. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, I think we've covered a lot of ground there, Greg. I appreciate the well-rounded questions. I think to your point there, we've hit it from a lot of different angles. No, I don't think I have anything else to add at this point. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know your time is very valuable, so I want to be sensitive to that, but I appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Greg. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 